Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at youdiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible drastic savings on hundreds of products. So go to MayorJohnson.com. That's Mayor-Johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child-adolescent mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. This is Dr. Russell Hyken. You're on Dr. Russell Hyken's show. We talk about mental health topics as they relate to teens and families. We are part of the Coffee Clash Special Needs Listening Radio Network. Our guest today is Dr. Ken Huey. Dr. Ken Huey received a master's degree in counseling psychology from Florida State University and a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy from Purdue. Dr. Huey has been working with troubled youth for more than 17 years. He moved to Utah and began working with troubled youth in a residential setting in 2003. In November of 2006, Dr. Huey helped launch Change Academy Lake Ozark, also known as CALO, a residential relationally-based treatment center for troubled teens struggling with reactive attachment disorder and developmental trauma disorder. Using attachment therapy, CALO heals struggling teens from the effects of early childhood trauma, often related to neglect and abuse. Um, they have a very interesting concept down at CALO. I've visited the program many times. Um, and they work on what they call trust of care with canines. And canines help students develop love, responsibility, and accountability through meeting the physical needs of the canines. So the kids actually work with the dogs. They take care of them, feed them, water them, groom them, train them, everything you can do with a dog, and, of course, play with them. Through this process, the kids better understand trust and emotions as they learn to work with the dogs. Um, and through this process, the kids learn empathy, and empathy is the soil where attachment and trust can grow. And that is a big part of the foundation that Change Academy Lake Ozark, Kalo, is founded on. As I said, today we have Dr. Ken Huey. He is one of the directors at Kalo. How are you doing today, Ken? Good, Rusty, and how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us on the show. As I mentioned, I've been down at Kalo quite a few times. I think it's a great concept. You know, when I'm down there, I, I see the dogs everywhere. I see the kids interacting with the dogs. I see staff interacting with the dogs. Very well-trained dogs, I might add. But but talk to me a little bit, you know, why are you including animals in your process? Talk to me a little bit about the therapy and the attachment concepts behind it. Kind of just sort of give us a good starting point. You bet. So when we were creating Kalo, it was actually a bit of an offhand conversation with somebody else in the field who mentioned how good it would be to have canines. Now, we had already been looking at various animals. We 
there's a good body of research, a real great meta-analysis by a couple of folks named Nimer and Lundahl that, that captured the benefits, therapeutic benefits of working with animals. Horses, I mean, seriously, they looked at horses and dolphins and chimpanzees and you know, all kinds of different animals. And uh, at the end of the day, we went with these canines because we realized there was a whole lot we could do to integrate the work that we were doing with the canines with the students, actually having them live in the rooms, having them train them constantly, having them be able to go to school with them if they were having emotional difficulties and things like that. It's hard to do that with a horse, uh, cleaning up the mess if they go to the bathrooms rough. And, you know, you can do this with a canine in a way that you just can't with other animals. So that was the beginning point. We, we knew that it was going to be a large part of what we did at Kalo. We really had no idea how it was going to really be the linchpin for treatment and progress for so many of our kids. So it, it's been an amazing uh, addition. Addition's not right because we, we've started with that. It's been an amazing piece of what we do therapeutically. You know, and it seems like such a logical match. I know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of animal-based therapies out there, and I've I've been to the horse programs and seen the Igala. I've seen programs using everything from rabbits and chickens to oh, all kinds of different animals. But to me, the dogs seem like such a a logical fit for anybody who's having trouble with emotions and trauma. Um, you know, I can just see, and, and I see the kids, how they bond and they connect with the dogs. Um, but what's interesting is, is when I'm down there, I notice that all of your dogs are golden retrievers. And, you know, not owning a golden retriever, I want to know, why, why, are you, why are you using goldens and not other dogs? Yeah, you bet. Well, as we talked to national experts, we talked to about five about our idea and how we wanted to do this and started creating on paper the program, we asked, you know, what, what's the right dog? Is there one that's better than others? Do we just get rescue dogs? You know, what makes the most sense? And there was some, you know, some reason to go ahead and, and get dogs from the pound and things like that. But, but all of the experts said they need two dogs, golden retrievers and golden labs. And they said, you know, but golden labs are a little bit too hyper and might be a bit much for you, really golden retrievers are the right animal. And the reasons for that were that a golden retriever is just perpetually puppy-like. They're, they're just unconditional in their love. You very, very rarely get one that is sort of a sour animal and will be snippy and barky and not, not like other people or other dogs. And that just fit with what we were trying to accomplish. What we're, what we're trying to do is give the most safe relationship we can come up with to teach really attachment and bonding a, with my apologies to what about Bob in a kind of a baby steps kind of way. So the idea is that they learn how to attach with a totally safe animal who even if they're kind of rough sometimes in their training or they're they're pardon me, barking at the dog, they're they're not being you know, very loving and nurturing, the, the dog will come back and allow them to still be their friend and will want to be pet by them and be near them, and, and they can learn how to work with that animal and then transfer those relationships, those relationship experiences and talents that they're building back to their primary caregiving relationship. So, and, so take me so back, take back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, take me back just a little bit because I know you're talking about safe relation, relationships and attachment. Can you maybe speak a little bit to our listeners about you know, the concept of attachment, even talking about reactive attachment and the type of issues that the kids see in particular that relate to bonding and connecting with family members. 
Yeah, you bet. So uh, attachment is learned and formed in the first essentially six years of life, and some would say prenatally. That's where there's this window you can learn how to track eye contact and, and recognize nonverbals and seek out care and connection when you're stressed. Well, if during that attachment window, instead of those kinds of real nurturing relationships, you in place put neglect or abuse or just simple trauma, you know, in and out of a hospital or adoption, um, be, even though adoption is a good thing, that that removal from your primary caregiver, from your parent, and and placed into this new situation where maybe you're a bit of a square peg in a round hole in spite of all the best efforts of the parents, that disruption and others creates a situation where in your life you have a real difficulty then forming other relationships and being close and accepting influence and having what the rest of the population generally enjoys as functional relationships. So that trauma then has got to be dealt with in some way. And if it's not, as these kids get a little older, sometimes really early, even at 8, 9, and 10 years old, uh, to push you away and pull you back in or or indiscriminately attaching to folks and, and acting out sexually, those kinds of things, um, and lesser lesser pieces too. I mean, that, that's a fairly extreme kid that's having trouble. But sure. you start acting out in kind of funky ways that uh, an, an adoptive parent, for instance, just has a hard time understanding and knowing what to do to do with that kid. They've got to learn how to bond. And it's, if I could go even deeper, what's really gone on is that in that attachment window as you introduce trauma, what happens is there are neural pathways created. You can actually see it on a functional MRI. These pathways are created where essentially bad lessons that are incorrect become part of the schema for the kid to make decisions in life. That is to say, I... I know that when an adult comes into a room and comes over and gets physically close to me, that the next thing that happens is I'm going to get slapped. Now, that's that's a silly thing to believe unless that's what happened a number of times as a kid. Well, I've got to – if that's my neural pathway, if that's what I'm expecting, I'm going to act really weird in situations that should be safe and not so weird, you know, or or actually be okay with things that are are not safe. So now I've got to go back in and rework those neural pathways. That's actually, we're able to do that. We're able to fix the brain, and it comes through what Dr. Bruce Perry calls repetitive, relational, rhythmic experiences. And so you, you can do it with, we in part, do it with these, these canines, transferable attachment, where over and over and over again, we show, not talk about, show these kids how to be close to another living organism, how to give of themselves to have the animal be happy and healthy, how to do love and attachment, and then transfer those relationships back to parents, and you've got then the building blocks of changing these neural pathways so that the child is able to act in a pro-social way throughout their life. So so really, with these kids, before they come to you a lot of times, and I'm going to kind of use a metaphor here, but what's up is down and what's down is up for them. Everything's just kind well, of... Well, that's well said, yeah. And in the most simplest of terms. But, but you said something as you were kind of going through your description that really caught me, is that, you know, sometimes this trauma happens prenatally. And I know a lot of adoptive parents, when they when they get those kids, they think, oh, I get them right at birth and everything's going to be fine and they're going to attach to me well. 
but it almost sounds like there's absolutely no control they even have over that because things are going on prenatally. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, and this is a real struggle for many of our parents. I mean, when it comes right down to it, Kalo is the place for adopted kids that are having difficulty emotionally and behaviorally. All right, so that comes from the, this idea of prenatal exposure, prenatal trauma having a problem. That That's from somebody who is adopted. I'm an adoptee and can look back in my own life and recognize that disruption and what it did for me. I really really struggled with some relationship issues. Uh, I've come out nicely. I'm married and have six kids and happy and life's good. But that prenatal trauma, think about this. If if I am, this is actually a a real case, I think it was Dr. Perry that talked about it. I've got a mother, a biological mother, who is a, a WNBA basketball player. And in utero, I'm used to a resting heart rate of, say, 48 to thump, to thump, to thump, and a type of breathing and the whole biology of that person, maybe the way that that she speaks. And I um, leave the womb and I'm adopted at birth. And I go to a wonderful, slightly overweight woman with a resting heart rate of 70, and she cuddles me as she should do and puts her head up against my head up against her heart, and I hear to dump, to dump, to dump, to dump, to dump, to dump, and that's what's supposed to be soothing to me. That's not. That's not what's soothing. The, the smell is different. The touch is different. The voice is different. It's higher pitched than this woman that I've been with. I mean, that's an extreme example of the mismatch. But there can't be a perfect match. It's going right. to be something that is pre-verbal. It's precognition, but it's jarring in extreme ways, and it's the set off for me knowing later on being able to, to think it through, that I don't fit. I actually really did feel profoundly that I could not fit in any given social situation. I, it took me years to finally work through that. I was in my late teens, early 20s when I, that started to really resolve itself. and I did some work that was really helpful, and I, I want to pass that on. I mean, that's what right, started right. was I wanted to help my people. Anyway. And what a, and what a great analogy because I think that really clears things because you know I know that adoptive parents and the ones that I've met always seem to be very kind and caring people but then something goes askew and these kids really struggle to attach with them and that's a, a great description that shows it's really beyond anybody's control. Um, yeah. And so I guess through the use of these canines, you're, you're teaching the kids how to to learn to love again, or maybe even they didn't learn to love uh, appropriately in the first place because of the, the, the attachment issues. And so I guess that's what you sort of mean when you talk about transferable attachment, that they're able to kind of move those feelings from the dog onto the family. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. You said something that makes me want to go back to one point, too. One sure. thing that many of our parents struggle with is they'll say, but wait a minute, my child is attached. Yeah, we're having these issues, but he's attached. I don't need attachment work. Well, actually... They may be attached and they may love you. That's not the issue. But they're still acting out emotionally and behaviorally in ways that don't make sense to the environment because of the disruption in the attachment window. We, I don't want to get too caught up on the attachment. It's really about developmental trauma. Gotcha. We, we struggle sometimes and call it, I call it the wrong thing. I call it adoption. I talk about adoption and trauma, but it's the developmental, excuse me, adoption and attachment, but it's really the developmental trauma that's the issue. That's what we're resolving. You know, it almost sounds like we should, you know, the the, the DSM term reactive attachment almost sounds like it should be changed to developmental trauma issues. Would that be uh, an interesting way to to couch that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, the DSM five. I was just. Uh, well, sorry, we'll get into it. <laughs> that would be a no, go, go. question. But wrong with it. We got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, the new diagnostic and statistical manual, the Bible for finding out what's going, or being able to quantify any diagnosis and disability or, or disorder that somebody's got that psychologists and therapists use. Um, is has changed a little bit. It just came out, and they've they've changed reactive attachment disorder some and added some of the developmental traumas have become much more highlighted. I'm very very pleased about that. I mean, you know, we'll see the book. I just went to a presentation where they talked about it. It's great. So, so you're onto something for sure, Rusty. No, I need to do that. And, and it's nice to see that they really put, are focusing on the trauma. You know, and what I've noticed when I've worked with some of uh, of these kids that supposedly have the, the reactive attachment or development to trauma, it always seems like there's additional sort of almost natural life traumas that occur that, that really throw their emotions out of whack. For example, just sort of the natural passing of maybe their grandparent seems to stir up memories of attachment issues. Am I perceiving that correctly? It seems like there's always something else that goes on with these kids that really even and amplifies what their emotions are. Yeah, that is well said. We're, our brains are categorical and efficient. That is that we place experiences in categories and we become very efficient at filing away or interpreting things going on in our life in a particular way based on our past experience. Well, if trauma is part of my past experience and grandma dies, here's another example of how I don't fit and how trauma is a part of my life, and in fact, maybe even that I deserve it or that I created it. It's, it's a real problem. My neural pathway is constantly taking me down a road that is interpreting things in a personally pejorative way. That's an issue. I've got to fix that, or I'm yeah. going to constantly opt into failing situations. I'm going to create failure in my life for the rest of my life until I change that. In fact, that, that was me. I was blowing up relationships all around me until I really started to believe, you know what, I'm not fundamentally flawed. I just keep doing the same thing, thinking I'm going to be flawed. And yeah. once I got started to get past that, I really found that not, not only can I form great relationships, I can have terrific friends and people can love me and I can love them and it's safe. That was, that was just profoundly life-changing. My, my whole life is different today because of that experience. Well, you know, and it sounds like left unchecked, not only can that developmental trauma or attachment issues lead into serious depression and anxiety that could be even a bigger hole to climb out of. Um, you know, and to bring it back to sort of Kalo and the canines, it's like, you know, how can you, you know, not look at a dog sometimes and actually feel pretty good? And so do you find yeah. that when the kids come to the program, I mean, to me, you know, one of the most welcoming things about the program would be as you walk in is that, I mean, there are dogs everywhere, and uh, you know, at Kalo. So do the kids just sort of gravitate to this? Do dogs just almost automatically make the kids feel good? Now, I know that may not last, but is that sort of like a, a great foundation as they walk in the door and see these animals? That That is huge. We'll have kids even that are sort of struggling with the idea that I'm going to go into residential treatment and very quickly, they're around these either puppies or dogs that have been with us for a while, and they're just happy to be near them. Not all kids, but right. almost all of them, after some time, will start to gravitate to at least one. That's actually how we select the dog that they're paired with. Every, every student is paired with a particular dog, and they choose that. Usually it will happen in the first couple of days. Sometimes yeah. it takes two or three weeks or even a month or two for a few kids. And uh, then they're they're paired with that dog, and and you know they're having a rough go of it someday. And I, I've been in places where I've seen some kids just arguing and really getting into a, a yelling match with 
uh, another student and maybe getting mad at one of our what we call a residential coach that's right there on the floor with them all the time. And uh, we'll just go grab their canine and bring Buddy over to uh, hang out with Susie, uh, Buddy being the dog, and, and just let Buddy be next to Susie. And Susie starts to pet Buddy, and what do you know? Inside of 15 seconds, her heart rate's probably back down to about 80, and in another minute, it's down to a resting heart rate of 60 or 70, and she's just soothed and calm. It's an amazing thing. It, it teaches them how to use relationships to soothe emotionally. That, that's what we want in productive ways. You can soothe emotionally in bad ways, but that's a productive way to be connected with another living organism. And so, like, the dogs really have this physical response. So let me ask you this. So why can't somebody just introduce a dog into their house with one of these kids and get similar responses? Sure. I think that that could be good, but you've you've got to invest a whole lot into this in order to get, A, the right dog. You've got to go, Golden Retrievers will say that that's the only one that works. It's not. There are others that you could research and find that, that would work. Sure. But now you've got to figure out how to structure this. We're very, very um, thoughtful about how this works. We've got a full-time person who's been our canine specialist for a number of years. So you've got the expense of having her make sure she understands the psychology behind it, and she does, and can run the entire canine transferable attachment program. From the, the cost, the financial costs are really quite astounding, but we, we believe it and so we do it. Uh, but really, the metaphors, the, the learning that they, they get experientially with the dogs, you've got to be able to transfer those metaphors to something that has impact in the child's life. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, in fact, let's make sure we come back to this. So, so why not just introduce the dog? Let me come back to that question. But to okay. do that, let, let me step back if I could and, and sure. talk just a little bit about, um, gosh, where was I going to go with that? With the, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, about the metaphors uh, of the dog? The canine... Yeah. The what? Were you talking about the metaphors? Oh, no, not the metaphors. Well, okay. so, here, I'll stay on it. Your, your question is well, well said. I think I can answer it without going too far backward. Sure. Um, so how, how do you just introduce these dogs? Well, you've, you've got to, oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, you've got to tie the metaphors to what's going on with the kid but not wor- worrying so much about the verbal. Okay, so when I've got this mental problem, I've, I've done brain damage, I've introduced trauma into this young child's life, and I've got neural pathways that are not functioning correctly, I'm going to react then to stimuli around me based on those neural pathways, based on my experience, in ways that aren't even logical. Like if I'm thinking about it, this was pre-verbal, pre-cognition, I, I'm just acting this way because that's where my body goes when somebody comes and stands near me. Okay. And what we typically try to do in therapy is appeal to what's called the prefrontal cortex. This is the part of the brain up at the front where, I, where we're, you and I, Rusty, are able to have this conversation, think sure. abstractly, consider our place in the universe, etc. But if I sit down and do talk therapy and try and appeal to your brain, your thinking brain, to overcome what is a, a brainstem and limbic system level problem, it's not going to fix it. I have to fix the brainstem limbic system level problem by getting in there experientially as the damage was done experientially and fixing it, not by talking. Sure. And so, um, so many families will try and talk their way through this, and I can understand that. But you, you actually have to be very well versed in this, in this experiential therapy and be able to then work with the dogs or in the, the many different ways that you're going to 
to work through these these issues. So now back to why dogs, or why why not just introduce the dog into the home? Well, we're able to control the environment by taking away you know, sort of bad friends and lousy music and maybe pornography for some kids or drugs and alcohol, all the stuff that supports the bad behavior we remove from the system and then in that in that in its place put in sort of nutrient rich experiential activity to rewire the brain and in that environment we can make this change. So to just add a dog where there's all these other things going on still, that's pretty tough. We're gonna have a hard time getting it the places we need to to make the change. So there's the long way around. Sorry, that took me a bit to get my thoughts. <laughs> no, but that makes a, that makes a lot of sense because you know what I understand when when kids enter any residential treatment program, there's always a lot of rich activities and the environment is very controlled. And to me, it's almost like you take out all the bad and you don't necessarily replace it with the good, but you replace it with things that aren't bad. But I also think in your case down at Kalo, I noticed that you know you take kids water skiing and climbing and hiking and all of those things. So I think that's what you mean by sort of controlling sort of that experiential therapy too. Things that maybe stress us and, and, and create anxiety within us, they get to experience in a controlled situation and learn how to self-regulate. Would that sort of be a part of the canine therapy as well and maybe using those dogs to help them relax? Absolutely. That's, that's very well said. So every you, you've tapped on it, Rusty, that everything we do at Halo is targeting what's going on with this kid and how, how do we help them get better. So so the experiential activities, and we're right on Lake of the Ozarks, you know, ostensibly I'm teaching them to water ski and to wakeboard. I don't care about that. I yeah. care that as part of that they're learning teamwork and trust and how to lean on an adult caregiver to learn a new task and that that's safe. And see, these are all ways that I'm reworking what's going on in the brain. And uh, at the end of the day, they also do learn how to water ski and wakeboard, but along the way they've learned these lessons, repetitive, relational, rhythmic lessons that help them to be attached and to function pro-socially. So they get a, so in that case, they're actually getting away from the dogs and interacting with human beings, which is a great thing. So um, it, we're going to start to bring things here to a close in a minute, but, but one of the questions I, I want to ask is that, you know, these kids form the attachment to the dogs, so do they get to go home with them after they, if, after they uh, finish their residential treatment? You know, that's a great question, and that's, that's actually one of the reasons that we went with dogs instead of, for instance, horses, is because they can go home with the, the students when they're all done with treatment. Not all of the students will get onto an adoptive track. So they all enter and either jump into the foster care track or adoptive. Really, they, they all start to foster one of the dogs. And um, they'll, those that then start to really bond and mom and dad are game for it too, they'll go ahead and do a home study. Just like they'll go through an adoption process. A home study, oh, wow. a petition of adoption. They'll finally do a decree of adoption. And that dog will then become theirs while in residence at Kalo live with them in their room, go everywhere with them, and when they go home, go home with them. About 30% of our students uh, go through that full process and take a dog home. Wow, wow. So, that, that, you know, and that's a, that's a pretty high rate. And I can see just so much how those dogs are valued by the kids. Like I said, I visited down there, and I'm just amazed that I see kids having a rough day. You know, they seek out a dog. I see them in anxious moments looking for the dogs for relaxation. I also see them learning valuable lessons like cleaning up after their dogs, and, and what a great metaphor for how your parents clean up after you. Just so much oh, yeah. Yeah, goes on with these canines. Well, hey, we are just about out of time, but if um, individuals are interested in learning more about you and about Change Academy Lake Ozark and the dogs, where can they go to find out? 
You bet. The fastest place to get lots of detailed information is our website. It's pretty darn good. Kaloteens.com. C-A-L-O-T-E-E-N-S.com. So like Kalo Teenagers, Kaloteens.com is the place to go. And www.kaloteens.com is fine, or just kaloteens.com. And then uh, if you wanted to talk to Nicole or Shelley, those are the two folks that work in admissions for us. Nicole is the admissions director. The uh, direct line of Kalo is a great number, 877-879-KALO, 877-879-2256. That's our direct line. You can, we'd love to answer any questions. We get requests just for information uh, very frequently. Sure. You can even you can do that at kaloteens.com too. There's a place to fill out a request. Excellent. And I recommend anybody goes on to the website if they go over, I believe, to the staff tab. You actually have the dogs listed under staff, I think. Um, so. Yeah, that's right. We do. And you can see the pictures of all the dogs and their names, and you can just see how many they are and how important they are. Well, you have been listening to the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. Our, our guest this evening was Dr. Ken Huey from Kalo Change Academy Lake Ozarks. We've been talking about um, developmental trauma and working with canines and canine therapy, and what an interesting show it's been. If you'd like to get more information about me, you can certainly uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Hyken. I'm also on Facebook at Russell Hyken, and my website is teenparentingexpert.com. That's teenparentingexpert.com. Happy to field any questions about today's show or anything related to kids and parents and teens and families, Um, so look for me there. Anyway, once again, we've been with Dr. Ken Huey. What a great and really interesting show we've had this afternoon. I've learned a lot. I appreciate you doing it for us, Ken, and uh, look forward to hearing from you in the future. Anything else you want to close with? No, thanks very much, Rusty. It's great to be with you. Fantastic as always. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, This has been the Dr. Russell Hyken Show on the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Network. Everybody have a great evening.